And today we're looking at uh, Acts 21 to 23. And I felt it was right to entitle today's preach, Faith in a Faithful God, even as we hear sirens going off in the background. We're living in what feels like, or we're made aware of, more what's going on around the world, which causes us to feel sorrow and sadness. It's been a, a very difficult few weeks, in fact, several months for us as a nation. It seems like there's been one thing after another that's been going on. And as we've already mentioned this morning, what happened this week in West London, there's been trauma after trauma after trauma. But you know, the, the thing is that actually has impressed me about this nation particularly is the awesome response of the people to gather together, the compassion, the generosity, the kind words, the offers of help. I don't know if you saw a lady who was interviewed this week who was just saying, you know, it's amazing how much people have given in this nation. There's been truckloads of generous people wanting to help those people in West London that have been um, displaced from their homes. The overwhelming sense of unity of people wanting to stand with those who've experienced loss. It's wonderful, isn't it? That's the nation that we're part of. But there are a lot of questions. Why? Who's to blame? Isn't enough enough, God? All these things that are going on, where are you, God? The enemy seems to be running amok with our people. Thank you so much, Nigel. That's really helpful. The devil seems to be absolutely having a field day with this nation, with this city. And I don't know about you, but it's not right, and I want it to stop. So as Christians, what should our response be? Well, I want to look at this question and others through today's Bible passage. So as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at Acts 21, but I'm going to be paraphrasing um, as, we, as we go through this. So as I, if you want to turn with it and look at it with me, feel free. So let's start with Acts 21. So here we are. Um, Paul has just said goodbye to the Ephesian church, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. Now, Paul felt very strongly and was very committed to going back to Jerusalem. There were a number of um, disciples, followers of Christ, who actually tried to put him off. You know, there was even a prophetic word in this chapter saying to him, if he goes, then it's going to be bad. It's going to be very difficult for him. They encouraged him not to go. But he was ready. He was ready to go into whatever God had called him to do. He was ready to go to Jerusalem. He's prepared to go whatever would happen, whatever the cost because he knew that that 
to where God had called him to go. He was determined. So he goes. And he arrives at Jerusalem towards the end of chapter 21. And he's in the temple in Jerusalem. And the the disciples there, in fact the apostles, encourage him to go to the uh, temple and to um, do the very, cust- the very customs of, of the Jewish customs at the time, um, and, and to go to the temple and to do this with some friends of his. So he goes. And as he goes to purify himself, it says, along with these friends of his, he went to the temple, and there were some Jewish guys from the province of Asia, and they start to sort of stirring things up for Paul. They start turning people against him. They blame him. They accuse him of taking a Gentile into the temple, which wasn't true. And unfortunately for Paul, it starts to get a bit out of hand. It says that the whole city gets angry and they turn against Paul and they drag him from the temple and the people start trying to kill him. It's not looking good for Paul. But what happens is the Roman commander comes along with his soldiers and they intervene. They stop Paul getting beaten up. And you can imagine at this point, Paul, it's a bit of a mess. You know, he's probably bleeding. He's probably bruised from the beating that he's been getting. But the Roman commander stops this from happening. A man who doesn't believe in God but stops these people carrying out this awful thing. And as they're taking him back to the barracks, pretty much for his own protection at this point, Paul turns to the commander and he says, let me speak to the crowd. Let me speak to these people who have been doing this to me. And do you know what he does? At the beginning of chapter 22, Paul turns to the crowd and the thing he says, he gives his testimony. Isn't that an amazing thing? These are the people that are beating him up, treating him really badly, want to kill him. And what does he do? He tells them that there's a better way. He tells them about the Redeemer, the Savior, Jesus Christ. He describes how he became a Christ follower. Now, it's an awesome thing that Paul does. You know, he's been given this breathing space. He's been taken away by the commander. And what's the first thing he does? He speaks of Jesus. He tells them about the amazing work of Jesus in his life. He declares the truth of the risen Christ. The very people who tried to kill him. What a man of faith. What a man of resolve, of tenacity, of sheer grit. That at the moment when he was at his weakest, he gives honor and glory to God. I don't know about you, but I sometimes don't always do that in my most difficult situations. But Paul gives us an example here. What a testimony to God and who God is. It takes faith. Faith in the faithful God that he believes in, that we believe in. It takes courage. It takes complete and utter submission to Christ, his will, and his plans. This is the sort of faith 
that Paul demonstrates that can move mountains. Now, I've had um, a number of challenges or trials over this week, over these last few weeks, which I would say have really tested my faith. Now, they probably seem quite minuscule compared to Paul's trial, as we see in this, um, in this part of Acts. But I just want to bear with me a moment just to share a few of these with you. The first is my computer. I don't know if you have problems with your computer, but I've had many problems with my computer these last couple of weeks. In fact, so much so that when I turned it on, if you've got a Mac, you'll know the spinning wheel that comes on the screen. I had a spinning wheel probably for about 10 minutes before it would then go on to the next thing. And then once it went on, I'd have another 10 minutes of spinning wheel. In fact, it would frustrate me that my computer didn't work. I could not get on with any work that I would be very frustrated with my computer. And it would overwhelm me. It would become the intense thing that I would focus on. And do you know what? All I did was I tried to install the latest operating system. You'd have thought that had done the computer good, but it didn't do mine any good. That's the first trial that I've been facing these last few weeks. The second is I have a portable spa, a bit like the one we did the baptisms in a few weeks ago. Set it up in my garden. I've had it for a number of years. Set it up as normal. Filled it with water and switched the pump on. And guess what happened? It didn't work. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? No spa. No, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? It was a trial for me. I couldn't get my spa working. It was hard, particularly in this weather. A spa is, is a wonderful thing. No, seriously, it was a trial. I spent time looking on eBay, and the nearest second-hand unit was in Durham. And I thought, I'm not going all the way up there just for a new unit for my spa. And then the last straw, this is something which has been past the biggest trial for me over this week, and in fact, the last few weeks, is on Wednesday morning, our car wouldn't start. Now, it's, this is a little dilemma that we've had for a few weeks, is we have a Renault Scenic, and if you have one of these versions, I know somebody has a Renault Scenic. And, um, and it has these special key cards, which I think when it was designed and made, they were the new thing. There were cards that when you even walked up to the car, it would unlock for you. They were magic. But the problem is, if these cards go wrong, you are stuck. You cannot move. The car is useless. So... We had this key card, we had two of them, and the first one, a few weeks ago, we were out in the Surrey, beautiful Surrey Hills, got back to the car, and it wouldn't work. We had to call out the AA, the AA couldn't do anything, and fortunately, our friend Amber came to the rescue, and she gave us our second key card, and we were able to get the car started. Now, it's not the end of the story, because we then got back, tried to get the key card working, took it apart, I had a friend of mine who had fixed one of these before, couldn't do anything with it. So we were left with our second key card, which unfortunately was temperamental. So we went to the Renault garage in Epsom, the dealer, to try and get another key cut, or not cut, um, set up. And unfortunately, they come from France. So these take five to ten days to arrive. So the trial continues as we go and eventually get the car booked in to the garage, 
When I arrived to get it done, quick job, takes an hour, the lady comes to me and says, unfortunately, the key card is faulty. So, sorry, you're going to have to go away. So we went away with our um, card that didn't work very well. Come back five or ten days' time. We go back. The new card, the key card's arrived. Go in. The lady goes about getting it done. Comes back. I'm really sorry, but the key card that you have is faulty. So you're going to have to go away again. So twice we went away. <laughs> Third time we went back. And uh, I'll finish the story in a moment. But you can imagine how frustrating that would be. What a trial that was for us to deal with, with a car that is very important. In fact, this temperamental one finally gave out on Wednesday. And Wednesday, in our house, was an absolute picture. Because Wednesday morning, the car wouldn't start. Abby had to get to work. So Abby goes off to work on a bike down to Epsom Station to get the train. Tom has unfortunately injured his knee at this point. So I then have to take the boys to school. Noah's on his bike, but Tom cannot ride on his bike. So there I am going to school with Tom on my rear ruck, um, back, rear bike rack with Tom taking him to school. You can imagine it was an absolute picture, which wasn't that funny at the time. But looking back, absolutely hilarious. I'm sure we got a few looks as we went to school. Now the question is, have you ever been in a place where you're at that point where you think, Lord, no more. Please, enough is enough. When you experience trial after trial, may not be broken spars, but you may experience trial after trial after trial. How do you respond? How do you respond to the news of stuff that just seems to be awful? What is our response as Christians? What do you do in those situations? Well, I want to suggest to you three natural responses. Three natural things that how you might respond. How anyone might respond to things that go wrong, to trials that happen. And then I want to suggest to you three supernatural responses. Three responses that we as Christians, can make, can do, can be, that go beyond the natural, that go beyond the way that actually, you know, this is how I often respond. So the natural responses are these. The first natural response might be to run away. You know, fight or flight. This is just too much, and I'm getting out. I've had enough. You know, and this is a normal reaction. You know, this has and it continues to be a way that I naturally respond to situations. I just want to get out. When God puts me in a trial, my response often, my first response to God is, I want out. Like the, um, the den. Nope. Is it the dragon's den? No, watch that one, Lynn. You know, I want out. This isn't a, a thing I want to invest in. I want out. That can often be our response to trials. You just want to get out. You don't want it anymore. And I start for looking for ways out of a situation that cause me pain. 
It's very normal. The second natural response might be denying that the trial actually exists, that it isn't actually happening. Trial? What trial? The obvious way to know whether you're responding in this way is if a friend asks you, how are you doing? How are you doing? And you respond, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm doing great. When inside, you know that you're really struggling. That you know that, actually, it's not all fine. Denial of the problem or situation, burying your thoughts and feelings, will only mean that it will get worse. It will get worse and worse, and eventually something will break. It may be you, it may be a relationship, it may be your TV set. Something will break. It's a natural response. And the third natural response is to start accusing and blaming others. Start taking your negative feelings that you're feeling in the midst of that trial out on someone else. And I would say it takes a lot of courage to take responsibility for yourself and your behavior when you're experiencing a trial. When it seems like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, to be honest, you know, it's not something I've always got right. There are times when I still want to blame other people for the various trials that God puts before me. So Paul, in these chapters, these are possibly the lowest point of his ministry. The lowest point when he's getting beaten up for something he's innocent of. And as we see, as we sort of continue looking at this in chapter 20. Two, verse 11. He's in the barracks. Sorry, 23, verse 11. He's um, with the commander, if you like. He's in prison. He's being kept and he's just been speaking again to the Jewish Sanhedrin. And he's, he can't go where he wants to go. He can't do what he wants to do. He's in this place of total despair, if you like. He's at the lowest point of his ministry. And it says just before in verse 10, the dispute became so violent between Paul and the Jewish authorities that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. You know, it's a pretty difficult place to be in for Paul. And yet, what happens on verse 11? The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. God's word to Paul at that moment at his weakest and at his lowest, when the trial seemed most intense, was take courage. Take courage. You know, I think God's word for some of us here today is take courage. You are fighting battles. You are fighting battles 
in our personal life. We are fighting battles in this borough, in this nation. And his word to us is take courage. We are winning the battles. Jesus has won the war. Take heart, I am with you. Jesus is like our commander-in-chief. He's already won the victory. And he wants to encourage us that as we experience these trials, he is close by. He is by our side, standing with us. And he wants us to take courage. But in order to know the victory that's within our grasp, God is calling us to go beyond these natural responses that I've just spoke about. He wants us to respond supernaturally to the trials that we're facing. Trials that are to be overcome because we are overcomers in Christ. Trials that are to be conquered because we are more than conquerors in Christ. And this, I would say, is how. Firstly, and perhaps most obviously, the first thing is supernatural response, and that is prayer. We offer up our prayers in lots of different ways. And I'd say that many of my prayers this week have been out of desperation rather than intercession. But that's okay. The fact that we come to God, the fact that we turn to Him, the fact that we have faith in a faithful God... He is faithful, and he wants us to turn to him. Now, in these chapters, we don't see much of Paul's prayers, but we do see it throughout the letters that he wrote while he was in chains. He wrote many letters to the early church while he was in prison. In his letter to the Philippians, he says, In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Paul was a a prayer. He talked to God regularly. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Giving thanks, a prayers of thanks. Remembering you in my prayers. And then in chapter 3, Paul says this, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how long, wide, deep, high is the love in Christ Jesus. You know, what a powerful prayer that Paul is praying for this Ephesian church, that they being rooted and established. You know, the root of all this is God's love for each one of us, that he's for us, he loves us with an unconditional love. Unconditional. He loves you unconditionally. That is a no-brainer. But out of that place, rooted in that, Paul prays that we will know the power that is in Christ to overcome the trials. He was praying that for the Ephesian church. You know, the fact that Paul was in chains, in Paul's eyes, was actually a good thing. You know, that he was able to commit his time to write these letters to encourage the early church. Paul was such a man of faith. And faith 
in a faithful God. It may be that you've been affected by all that's been going on in this nation over the past few weeks. I would say the most powerful and significant and loving thing that we can do as the church is pray. It's possibly the easiest thing to say, but probably the most difficult thing to carry out. You know, Jesus is praying for us even now. He's interceding for each one of us. He's talking to the Heavenly Father for us on our behalf. You know, what is prayer? In its simplest form, it's just talking to God, talking to our Heavenly Father, talking to Him when we're in the supermarket, when we're out and about, when we're in the car. That He is with us, that He knows us, that He wants us to talk to Him. So what do we pray? Well, pray what's on your heart. Pray with tears if God leads you. Pray for your friends. Pray for your family. Pray for people to come to know the living God through Christ. Pray for yourself. Talk to God about how you feel and think about everything that's going on. I mean, the list is endless. Pray for the church, the unity of the church. Pray for the leaders, the leaders of this nation. I think Theresa May needs our prayers. Like never before does the leadership of this country need our prayers. Pray for healing in this nation. Pray that God would pour out his spirit. You know, we are helpless if we do not go in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are helpless. You know, Justin Welby, who the, um, initiated the um, Thy Kingdom Come initiative, between the day of Ascension and the day of Pentecost a couple of weeks ago. He said this with his last address in the Winchester Cathedral at the very end of that, uh, those 11 days. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, the church is no more than a club. And it's not a very good club either. The wine is fairly indifferent and the rows on the management committee are terrible. And, it is, and he says this about it. It's a club that is entirely incapable of tackling the forces of darkness. The things that undermine our lives. The things that disrupt our lives. And most of all, it is incapable of being Christ in today's world. Let me say that again. He's saying the church is incapable of being Christ in today's world without the Holy Spirit. And he also says this, when the Holy Spirit comes, by contrast, the frightened overcome their fear. The weak are strengthened. The witnesses stand up and give their testimony. The witnesses stand up and give their testimony. The club becomes the greatest army in history. It grows into an army without weapons, an army of peace that overthrows empires and brings revolution with hope. I completely agree with the Archbishop of Canterbury. It's essential that we pray for the Holy Spirit to come, to be poured out, to equip us in our walks with him. If you're here today, and if you're completely honest, and your prayer life is pretty non-existent, 
then I can I encourage you to pray one prayer each morning this week. And it only needs to be six words. And I would say these six words are just, well, it could be any six words, but I can encourage you to pray these six words. Lord, have mercy on this nation. Lord, have mercy on this nation. I feel like we really need to call on God to come and have mercy on this nation, that we would see his hand, that we'd see the glory of we, as we've been worshiping this morning. The glory of God was here, is here now. The glory of God is amongst his people. And I would say, give that a go and let me know how it goes. Let me know if God does anything in your heart. Lord, have mercy on this nation. If you're here today and your prayer life is okay, then I can I encourage you. That's great. You know, that's really good. There's, it's great that we're praying as a church for your own lives, for things that are going on for you. But I, can I also encourage you that there's more for you. There's more for you in God. There's more for you in his purposes and in discovering who he wants you to be. Who he wants you to become. You will discover those things in your prayer life. There's more that he would want to use you to shape the community around you. There's more in how he could use you in shaping his kingdom. And he's encouraged you to come and speak to him some more. And finally, if you pray a lot, and I know that there are people here that are great prayers, then Jesus would say to you, keep it up. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are full of faith, faithful, good and faithful servant. Keep going. Wonderful outworking the purposes of God in your life. So the first supernatural response to trials is prayer. The second is perseverance. Now we see Paul persevering throughout these chapters. He seems to only have one thing on his mind, and that is to declare the glory of God, to declare the risen Christ, that Jesus is alive, that he has risen. That's all he wants to do. He wants to give testimony to that fact. And he does it in lots of different ways, depending on his audience. Throughout, as we will hear about in the next couple of weeks, he gets to do it in front of governors, in front of kings. I mean, one of the kings says, you know, you expect me to become a Christian right here, right now? And Paul says, well, actually, yes. You know, he's so passionate about advancing God's kingdom. And he perseveres in the midst of the trials that are before him. James tells us that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. The testing of our faith. So actually, trials help develop perseverance. He also says, consider it pure joy when you face many trials. But that's a talk for another time. If you are still standing and breathing then you have persevered. You are on this road, if you like, 
to maturity and completion. James also goes on to say that perseverance leads to maturity and completion in Christ, not lacking anything. That's reassuring to know that as we experience trials and we persevere, we're still trusting in Christ, that there's something going on in the supernatural in our hearts, that we are becoming mature and complete. Perseverance speaks of a confidence that the trials that we endure are only momentary, that we as Christians are not just looking to this life and all all that it holds, but that we have a hope in an eternal life, in an eternal God. That James also says that we're blessed if we persevere under trial. Why? Because we will receive the crown of life that God's promised. We persevere because we know that there's a greater glory coming. There's a greater glory coming. And finally, the last supernatural response to trials is to totally trust in Christ and God's faithfulness. Having faith in a faithful God. Having faith in Him. You know, faith is a gift. Each one of us is sitting here today because we've received the gift of faith, that we've made a decision to trust in Christ and follow him. Trusting in Christ is a supernatural response. It is. Trusting in him in the trials that we're facing is a supernatural response. And I really believe that God wants to impart more faith in our hearts to know and believe that he is God and he has good things for us. Charles Spurgeon said this, to trust God in the light is nothing. To trust him in the dark, that is faith. You know, God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He's faithful as he was when the world was created He was faithful when Joseph was sold as a slave. He was faithful when David defeated Goliath. He was faithful when God's people were merely a remnant scattered. And they sought to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. He was faithful in sending a redeemer, in sending Jesus, that we might find salvation. And he's faithful today in the midst of pain and terror that we see around us. And you know he'll be faithful tomorrow. He'll be faithful next week, next month, this coming year. And he will never stop being faithful. Paul lived in the faithfulness of God, as we see in these chapters. And he trusted him no matter what was going on. He spoke of the glory of God, no matter what. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. In each of my situations, it was a trial. But I can give testimony of where God has answered my prayers. And I can give glory to God of how he has 
delivered me in each of my situations. My computer is now running. It doesn't have Microsoft Office yet, but it's running and I can use it. The pump in my spa miraculously just started working. Now, it's a miracle. And I say to my children, it is a miracle that that spa was not working and now it's working. I give glory to God for that. (laughs) And then our car. Well, I tried umpteen times to get the car started and it wouldn't start. And this was on Friday and the key from France had arrived at the the, uh, the Renault dealer. And, um, and if the car was working, of course, I could take it straight away. But I phoned up all sorts of people to try and see what to do, including the complaints department at the, um, the Renault um, whatever. And, um, and I was given lots of advice. But it seems like the only way that I was going to get the car to the garage was to spend £110.38 for roadside assistance come and take it. And I was like, oh, okay. Lord, if I have to do that, then obviously I will do it. But I went to the car one last time before I phoned up to pay the money, and the car started. (laughs) What a miracle. And I praise God. I give him glory and honor because it was just an absolute miracle. And you know, my neighbor who was with me, my neighbor's quite chatty. Uh, He lives on his own. And when the day on Friday, when it started, I explained to him the impossible situation that was before me. And he'd come out to, um, you know, chat to me in the garden about it that morning. And then when I came, so I hadn't seen him, and then I came back from the garage with the fixed car. It was all done in, in a very short time. And he came running out to me, and he, and he was absolutely shocked to see me. He says, well, what's going on? And, um, and when he came out... You know, he asked what's going on, and I said, well, it's fixed. I said, I've got the new key, and it's all fixed. And he could not believe, honestly, he could not believe that I'd got the car sorted. And all I could say to him was, it was a miracle that this car had been fixed. And I testified that against all odds, God had redeemed the situation. What a great testimony. How much do we testify to the goodness and the greatness of God in our everyday, in all our situations? You know, not all our prayers are answered so easily and so quickly. But let's be a people who call on God to dispel the darkness because there's no darkness in God. God is light. And he wants us to be beacons of light in his name, for his glory. Let us be a people who are continually filled with his Holy Spirit. Yeah? Let's call on God. Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's be a people who persevere, continue with trusting in him. And let's be a people like the Apostle Paul, who, I'm just thinking of that spa, sorry, who trust and testify to the saving work of Christ. He's real. He's with us today. So, I think the band are disappearing before my very eyes. But really, I just wanted to finish there. Because I just think that God, as I said, wants to impart faith into us as a people. 
that we really are called to very little as Christians in terms of we are called to pray, we are called to be filled with the Spirit that we might go and explain and testify to the greatness of God. Let's continue to do these things. Let's pray. Let's be men and women of prayer that call on God to make a difference in these situations. You know, Paul in these situations, he didn't fight back. He testified to the greatness of God. And he was led by the Spirit. He's led to Jerusalem. And then he was led to Rome, as we'll hear about hopefully next week. And he had lots more opposition even before he got to Rome. He was shipwrecked, for goodness sake. He experienced lots of trials, yet he knew the faithfulness of God. Hallelujah. And I'm going to pray for us and let's use this song as a way of responding to God's faithfulness. Father God, I thank you that you are a faithful God. That you are a faithful God. And we look to you now. We look to you now. Come and fill us with your spirit. Come and empower us, Lord, with your word. Lord, lead us, we pray, in the days and the weeks ahead, that we might be testimony to your goodness and grace. Amen.